you know what they say about Roger Stone? I think it was at the New Republic, described him as the cockroach of US politics. And he really is. And the reason, obviously, for that is, is because he's impossible to destroy. He's, you know, you can't kill a cockroach. It's really hard to get rid of Roger Stone. He's been around you know, all the way to what the Nixon era for sure. And then he hung around during Ronald Reagan. Uh, he made friends with Donald Trump back then and then has been around dirtying politics ever since. Do you know him? God, no. I mean, I know a lot of people who know him. He went to high school about four miles from where I'm sitting right now. He got out in the early 70s and got into local politics and obviously started Stone, Manafort, and Black in the 70s and became the lobbyist to Idi Amin and Ferdinand Marcos and all kinds of other lovely people. Um, Some relatives of mine he's harassed and recorded who worked (laughs) as journalists and stuff. He's a fixture on the Upper East Side. I know Sam Numberg, who is his aide-de-camp and his mentor and his coke buddy but i don't know uh roger he lived up in harlem too which is surprising he would live in harlem yeah yeah, interesting that's where his apartment was interesting we're going to learn a lot about him today and we're joined by joe dempsey joe is one of our twitter followers and a brilliant researcher everyone should follow uh, joe's twitter feed what is your handle joe it's at dempsey too at Dempsey Tube. Seriously, it's a, one of the most accurate, interesting feeds out there. Uh, Joe, thanks Thank for you. joining us. We really appreciate you being here. You've been scouring all these indictment case documents that have been coming out. And there was one today, I don't know if you got caught up on that, involving, okay, we'll leave that out. But uh, there's there's certainly a lot going on in this case regarding uh, January the 6th. And what we're going to do today with your help is track back exactly what Roger Stone was doing on those days between the 5th and the 6th. But before we do that, there was a couple of important dates that happened way earlier. Uh, and the one that you always point out to is, is December the 18th, if I'm not mistaken. There was a rally that took place in, in D.C. that turned out quite violent, actually. And then on the, the next day, there was a meeting that took place in, in the White House. This was a famous meeting uh, that was written about in Axios. Tell us a little bit about what happened in that meeting. A lot happened in that meeting, December 18th. Uh, thanks for having me, Zev, I appreciate it. Great on December 18th, there was a meeting with a number of people in the White House. There was, Michael Flynn was there, Sidney Powell were there. A lot of people were arguing to Trump, but I remember distinctly Mike Flynn saying, we need fighters, we need fighters. Mm-hmm. On the phone was Rudy Giuliani. There was just a lot of people trying to convince Trump that they needed fighters. Um, Sidney Powell was in that meeting, and if I recall correctly, she was asking for access to voting machines for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, so December 18th was a, a pretty pivotal time, I would say, uh, in the White House. And it's at that uh, meeting that they came up with this initial draft of this idea that they were going to do the martial law idea. It had been floated around before, but uh, certainly it was at this meeting where they got some sort of consensus around this idea that on January the 6th, they began to think about that date as a possible date to try and do this insurrection and also institute martial law, which would allow them to then have these recounts of the elections in various states. Now, the way I see it, the breakdown has has always been like this. Roger Stone has been the guy who raised the militia, and we can see that through his association with the Proud Boys and also uh, the Oath Keepers. Alex Jones was the guy in, in, in charge of the propaganda, the Ministry of Propaganda, if you will, over months. He was inciting people to do exactly what they did on January the 6th, and especially on his channel, InfoWars, and there's a lot of his disciples that were involved in the event. And then Michael Flynn, who we know is the disgraced uh, general who has gone completely bonkers. He's been recruiting uh, people using the QAnon platform. So those were the three main people who are building the narrative and inciting people to get to January the 6th. And then, of course, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell. 
we're raising all those uh, court cases that were all the recounts and all these challenges to the votes, all of which was really about setting the lie, the setting of the lie that we now are still facing today because it obviously did take that uh, Donald Trump won the election in, in November and not uh, Joe Biden. So that's, I think that anyone disagree with that? I don't know. That's my opinion. That's an opinion. I don't have any details around whether these guys did. Well, we have some details, but we don't have absolute confirmation because there's no indictments. There's nothing out there that's even no. that's suggesting that Roger Stone was involved in doing all of this. And yet I think today we'll be able to prove that he certainly was in the room while it was happening, before and after while it was happening. And he had associations with each of both the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. I think, too, Zev, it's important to understand that there was actually White House counsel in that meeting on December 18th as well. So it'd be interesting to maybe have some conversations with those people who were there. It would be interesting to see this. Absolutely. That's, that's also when Bill Barr announced his resignation, I believe, was right around the time of this meeting. So Bill Barr got word of this and was like, yo, I'm out of here before y'all try exactly, this. You know? Exactly, because it's so crazy. And that's why he left a few weeks earlier than he should. And the Stop the Steal event was announced on December 19th. Right. This is the day after oh, the meeting. Right. Interesting. Now, originally, the first time we actually heard the, the Stop the Steal idea, the first time Roger Stone began to throw this around was September 10th, as early as September 10th. He went on Alex Jones's Infowar, and he began telling people then that this was where they were heading, or at least hinting that that's where they were heading. There are two big cases that are developing in the Department of Justice. There's the uh, a conspiracy case against the Oath Keepers and a conspiracy case against the Proud Boys. It seems to me that both of these are going to lead up to perhaps Roger Stone, because we can identify now that Roger Stone had involvement with both the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. And not only can we identify it because we have information, we can identify it because there's plenty of video to go around to show us that. Let's go to January the 5th. January 5th is a good place to start. And this is when Roger Stone still staying at the, the Willard Hotel, that's where we were staying, just next to the White House, uh, the Intercontinental over there. And he is at the Supreme Court. He does this big speech on the Supreme Court. And then while he's there, he's being secured by the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. They've been doing this with him for a while. They've been providing security for him and other members of Congress. And I am going to just to this. Here we go. Oh, give me a second while I just set this up. But if, oh, if you want to jump in here with anything, keep, please do, and then I'll be there in a second. While well, I think you bring back a lot of memories with the Willard Hotel. <laughs> That's basically, it's almost like staying at the White House. And, and I wonder That's who else was staying there. The My Pillow guy, I believe, was involved with this, you know, with this, in this meeting at the White House. I think that's where he walked in with a piece of paper that said martial law on it, that the I, photographers were able to zoom in on. I think you're right. It. I think, yes, I think so, you're right. Yeah, right, so you got, the, you got these meetings at the White House, and then you have these ancillary meetings at the Willard Hotel at Trump's hotel and his private suite and stuff. So it would be interesting how these guys were like coordinating their stories before they were going to present or present it to the boss. Cause, cause those would be the guys that were meeting with the, the proud boys, even though one of them did get a tour of the white house. One of those Saturday mornings in December, now, it was Roger and these other guys that were probably sitting around with the proud boys at the old Ebbett grill at the bar at night or wherever it is. They, all these places are right there next to the White House and downloading what the action plan would be. I think you know? so. There were 50, 50 people staying there uh, that were part of this entourage. So it certainly well, there you go. gives you an idea of how... Uh, and, and, 
that was ground to zero for them. Right. And it's not cheap to stay there. Oh, no, <laughs> well, that's sure. the other point. Somebody was funding this stuff. If you're staying in the Willard Hotel, like you got some bucks. So you're talking I actually like, did, a, I did a, a search on this yesterday, and I think it was like 400 bucks a night uh, to yeah, stay there. Because it's, at, you know, at it's at around best. the corner from yeah. the White House. You could basically exactly. walk to the White House. It's so, essentially is the White House in terms of the sec security perimeter. So let's go back to January the 5th, and we're going to take a look at some tape of, this is tape from the New York Times. They were able to identify many of these Oath Keepers, both helping with security on a golf cart uh, that as Roger Stone was driving around, but then also finding the same faces on January the 6th. So here's some of this tape. <laughs> Now, the guy that have cut out a frame there, number three, his name is Robert Menudo. We'll tell you about him in a second. God bless you, Mr. Stone. God bless you, Mr. Stone. There you go. There's more uh, Oath Keepers there. And pay attention to the guy at the very end there, the back of that cart, because uh, he's coming up as an important person in the next few minutes as we break down what happened on that day. Clearly, the Oath Keepers, who were providing security for Roger Stone, on both the 5th and the 6th, on a couple of occasions, and we've shown you some evidence of the first one, um, were also involved in the insurrection. There's absolute videotape of this. But also, in two of their cases, if not more, uh, you'll, you'll have to correct me, Joe, the Oath Keepers have been indicted. These particular Oath Keepers that were hanging around with Roger Stone, providing him security, they've been indicted. And one of them is Robert Menudo. The other one is... Uh, Joshua James. Joshua James, okay, sorry. Joshua James and, and Robert Menudo. So tell us about Robert Menuda first and tell us about uh, he's been indicted as part of this conspiracy. And is anything specifically notable about Robert Menudo as we put up his picture? So I, I don't know anything specifically notable. I do like I'm not an investigator. The first thing that I did was say, let me go to the indictments, because from the indictment perspective, that's what the government is telling you that they can prove. Mm -hmm. So it's not somebody's you know take on it or somebody's opinion. It's literally what the government is telling you that they can prove. So in, in the first indictment, you can see um, some communications back and forth with folks, uh, and some of the names are present in those communications. And then in superseding indictments that came later, so I think we're now on our fourth superseding indictment in this particular conspiracy case, there's a person five. Right. In one of the earlier indictments, that person five was actually named Robert Menuda. Right. So at some point, they went from actually naming him in the indictment to now just calling him person five. Which is an indication possibly point, that he might be cooperating. That's at least feeling that what that could be about. Who knows? It's possible. It's possible. I don't want to speculate, but it is, and it's possible that that's what that could mean. There are some other redactions from people that we did know before. So, for instance, person two was named in an earlier indictment, but now is not. They're, they're literally named person two. It's interesting to see how these superseding indictments evolve over time. Right now, uh, if I believe that the first indictment had maybe three, uh, maybe five to, or to six names, the superseding indictment is now talking about a person 20. So this is a larger indictment and it's one that we should watch. Okay, so we'll definitely keep an eye out as they expand the number of people indicted. Uh, by the way, just this is Menuda on his way on a golf cart to, this, to the insurrection on the 6th, saying things like, it's going down, guys. It's literally going down right now. Patriots storming the Capitol building. Fucking war in the streets right now. Word they got in the building. Let's go. As he and his buddies climb into that same golf cart that was carrying Roger Stone and headed down to the insurrection to, to storm the Capitol. These two pictures, by the way, the one on the right there is Robert Menuda 
as he is storming uh, the, the insurrection in that video we just saw. The one on the left is, we believe, Robert Menuda from the morning of January the 6th. The next time we see Robert Menuda with Roger Stone will be on the morning of the 6th outside the Willard Hotel. Keep that in mind because we're building you know, a whole collection of people for you to identify around Roger Stone on the morning of the 6th. Before we get there, let's get to, sorry, go ahead. I'm just trying to, I'm watching the time a little bit here, but go ahead. Sorry, another thing that's in the indictments is you can see the interactions between people. So you can see things where it says person five called person one, and there was a, a phone call that lasted a minute, 11 seconds, or a phone right. call that lasted 52 seconds. So as you start to put those things together and we start to backfill in the names from person you know, one or person 10 or person five, whatever those happen to be, you can start to see the communications between who's in charge and who's not, what type of the timing of some of these communications is important. Because if you look at the entirety of the timeline and you start to backfill it in with some of the communications that these people are having, it, it starts to tell a story. It absolutely does. That's a really good point about the phone calls. Very, very significant point. Uh, the night of the 5th, there was a big rally that took place. Uh, do you know where, where it took place? Was the uh, Freedom Plaza or was it somewhere Freedom else? Plaza, I believe. Yeah when Alex Jones was quite vehemently addressing the crowd and telling them that they were going to fight back for all the years of, that he'd been telling them uh, that, they were, that he was right and the globalists were wrong. It's on that night that the Proud Keepers and, uh, sorry, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers got to meet each other, at least for sure, we know that they were all at that rally. And that's significant because up until now, what we've seen is different factions. We've seen the Proud Boys develop as their own indictment and the Oath Keepers develop as their own indictment. So... The fact that they had an opportunity to meet in on the night of the fifth is very significant. Yeah, I think it's what you're saying about you know, the two separate indictments. It really is in, in two separate pads, if you will. You've got okay. one side where you know you have that oath keepers and the, the guarding and, and all the different contacts that they've had. From the Proud Boys side, you, you can actually see the communications even further and what they actually did in terms of the timing of who went first or how it kicked off. There's footage of people going to some of the higher ups in the Proud Boys organization and whispering in their ear before things kicked off around 1251. On, the, on that, January the 6th, right? On January the 6th, right. that's right. Yeah, and look, there's definitely, it's, it's interesting that yeah. we certainly see them separately for a long time, and we certainly yeah. see them around, around Roger Stone separately. But the fact that they had an opportunity to gather on the 5th, and I know journalists like Seth Abramson have got a much more detailed idea or suggestion of an idea of what happened on the 5th. I, I can't confirm those details, unfortunately, but I do know that they were all present at the, at the Freedom Plaza, there was a lot of moving back and forth. And we can put a lot of these same Proud Boy people and the Oath Keepers in the same place at Freedom Plaza, riling the crowds up. North and speeches that were occurring that day on January 5th at that rally also included people who were at the White House meeting on December 18th. Right. So one of the people who was in there on December 18th was a guy named Patrick Byrne. And in that meeting, according to Axios, he also gave a speech the night before uh, on January 5th. And, and what have you described him as a Boutina enthusiast? Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I call him a, a Maria Boutina enthusiast. Yes, um, because if you look at volume five, the yeah. Senate report uh, of volume five, uh, he's named in there uh, along with Maria Boutina. It, it, there's some interesting reading in that. So, no, I know there's a lot of information here, but if you're going to jump in and just uh, <laughs> freewheel any of that, it's interesting. <laughs> It's just so fascinating. You threw me off with Maria Bettina. I, I, I had an ex that looked just like her, so it freaks me out every time I see her. 
But I understand his enthusiasm, you know, not for the uh, the content. <laughs> but uh, she was, you know, you, Red Sparrow, yeah. like you know, whatever. Yeah. Like you can see uh, yeah. why they sent her yeah. to DC, man. She starts yeah. flirting with these guys at these gun shows, and you can see the larger like tentacles of this operation and how it really took place over a few years you know, with QAnon, with 8chan, with all this kind of stuff, and then they come together you know, with the president saying, "Come January 6th, it's gonna be wild," you know, and you can see them. Able Egging each other on and like people forget like Gavin McInnes who started the Proud Boys is from he's from like where is it like southern Westchester Marinette yeah. the guy lives in the suburbs of Westchester it's they're feeding this toxic toxic masculinity you now they have the t-shirts we fight we f oh and we something else so that video you showed shows that you know, frat boy thing oh, that they were ginning up and that stuff feeds on itself these guys think they were heroes they think they were patriots and by having that meeting at the white house and then having people like roger stone and mike flynn who was a general so these guys feel like they're taking their orders. You know, these guys that have this military cosplay baked into their whole thing there with their buddies now feel like they're taking orders. And that goes a long way to show why they did what they did on January 6th, because they thought they were doing the right thing. And you see all their interactions with actual cops that, what are you guys doing? We're the good guys. We're here to get Mike Pence, because that's what Trump wants us to do. Like, why are you tear gassing us? It was almost like they been deputized. You know, they're almost like, hey, look, here's my badge. When, I'll just say, when I worked on both Barack Obama's inaugurations, and they would get, they gave me this little pin, like the Secret Service gave me the pin. Yeah. And once I had that pin, I was walking around because I could get through any door. Yeah. You know, it was like the inner sanctum. And I felt like I could arrest people with that pin. But the point, and they would laugh at me, the Secret Service guys. I'm like, what does this get me? They're like, nothing, dude. But well, my point is, when you feel like you've been deputized, when you feel like you're acting in an official capacity, it has a very strong effect, like an intoxicating effect on your ego. When you're there in lanyards that said VIP mm -hmm. and you know VIP my what my point exactly yeah. and so there. The, let's take a look at some of the video then on January the sixth. So we're outside the Woolard Hotel. Throughout the entire investigation, Roger Stone has insisted that he spent his entire time in the room uh, on January the 6th at the Willard, that he never left the grounds of the Willard. That may in fact be true because he only stood outside the Willard. And let's take a look at some of what um, happened that day. This is the full eight minute video, which few people have seen, but you know, there he is outside. A lot of these people surrounding him are in fact Oath Keepers, the ones wearing, I guess they're called them gators, or these things that they have on top of their mouths. They're called gators. Like that guy right behind him there, who you'll see in a second, is, is, a, is one of the Oath Keepers. He's in a flannel shirt, I guess, and a cap. Uh, and this whole crowd around him is, is all Oath Keepers. Even though they don't all look like they're Oath Keepers, they are Oath Keepers. Later on in this video, we also see uh, Rudy Giuliani exiting the same hotel. And so Rudy was staying at that hotel too. Uh, so it's it's interesting. conversation between Rudy and, so and Roger would have happened day, right? that day. It's, it's interesting to see because people are taking selfies, right? They're trying to get their picture taken with Roger Stone and that's great. Somebody said to come back and say, hey, can, can I get a picture? Because I had my mask on in the first one and I would like one without my mask on. So right. then the camera kind of turns and just as the camera turns, you can actually see Rudy going into and being escorted into a, a black SUV. Yeah, so I don't know just, if he was staying there or if he was staying at the Trump Hotel, but he was at the Willard in the morning. I think he was staying there. Wouldn't be surprised me. There's a lot of people 
50 people is the is what we understand stayed at that hotel uh, before. I'll go full screen as well on this because it might be more easy to identify for people. Uh, it shouldn't restart, but it might. There you go. So there there are people taking lots of pictures. When you see Rudy, let us know because it's interesting to see as they step out. So again, looking for the people wearing the flannel shirt, the cap, the gaiters, those are all people who are believed to be Oath Keepers and we can identify one or two of them and we'll do so in a second. Uh, but the point is that certainly that morning, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers were at least suspected of being at the Willard. Certainly the Oath Keepers were all there, as were many of the officials, including Rudy Giuliani and Roger Stone. This glad handing goes on for a while, so I'll just show you quickly. Mm. Can I say something? Yeah, of course. Please. This shows how much celebrity was a part of the whole Trumpism thing. Now, these people like, can I get a selfie with Roger Stone? What do they think? Oh, they're like, it's an honor to meet you. What's an honor about meeting him? What has he done good in his life? The guy has been a reprobate since the 70s. He defended America's enemy. You know, he helped like dictators get lobbying support in Washington, D.C. He's as much a part of dark money and like the bad side of democracy and imperialism as you're ever going to get in this lifetime. But these people have seen him on Alex Jones. They know Trump talks about him. And the, half of these guys are here just because it's... There he is right now. Good point. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just, it's like a WrestleMania thing. Like they're coming because they get a selfie. They get access. Meet your favorite star. Come on down Saturday and you'll get a selfie with Roger Stone. <laughs> like it's just insane. And, and also, you know, we just actually got a glimpse of Robert Munuda. Uh, a few seconds ago. I'm sure we'll see him again. Remember the guy we had it on January the 6th hurling all those abuses at the police at the insurrection? We just saw him a second ago. So I think they turn the camera to the left. You'll see him again. And then if you look at the little behind there, can you see the woman with the blonde hair? That just behind there, can you see her? She is yeah. the Hollywood, uh, sorry, the Manhattan. Madam. And she is yeah. a very key figure in the uh, entire Roger Stone story on the 6th because she was a person who he spent the whole day with uh, inside the Willard Hotel. And we'll tell you how we know that in just a second, but it's, uh, it's not really thought about. Behind her or next to her, you see there's a tall guy with a, with a beard. You can't really see him because it's a little obscured. But right at the back there by the doors, a tall guy with a beard. Keep him in mind because he is a New York police cop. Um, and we will show you how he relates to both the Manhattan Madam who's a felon, and, and the New York police uh, cop and Roger Stone. They form a big part of the narrative around uh, what Roger Stone was doing that day. I don't know if very much is going to happen in the rest of this video, so I'll pull us back on camera here, but give you maybe one last chance to see. Those are the Oath Keepers on the left. There's the madam, and, and then next to the madam is the cop right behind her to the right there. All right, I think that's the end of the video. It's interesting stuff. Yeah, and what's also interesting is that cop that you just said there, he, he actually pulled something up to his ear at some point, and it's not a telephone. It looks like it has a, I don't know, like an antenna on it. Yeah. In fact, I noticed a lot of them had walkie-talkies. The uh, Rob Menudo had a walkie-talkie in his vest, and so did uh, the cop. Which, again, I think is important going back to the indictments, if there's communication, what devices were they using to communicate? Exactly. Do you know yeah, them? I don't know why I'm asking you if you know the Manhattan ma Madam, but I'm curious about what he, He's asked me that before, Joe. <laughs> um, okay. Right. He knows I don't know her. You know, I, I, I know some you people. You know everybody. Who, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I know some people who worked with her. I know those, you know, I know some like escorts. I know some high class escorts just because of the 
the area of New York City I lived in and the sort of business I was in and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I know some that changed their ways. I, I know that girl who was in Epstein's house, who Trump groomed when she was a kid. She ended up working in that business. And she still doesn't have her life together because that's what these guys do. They exploit and sell women as a kind of a, a side business of Trump. But and. NYPD was around for a lot of that stuff, too, so it doesn't surprise me that they're down there. Giuliani and Bernie Carrick, that's about as corrupted right. law enforcement duo as this country's ever seen. And all these men are still walking free. Oh, back to the earlier point about, no, I don't want to get back into <laughs> Merrick Garland, but what better time to really figure out what's going on here for the country, you know? And you like, know, you know, too, one, one other thing that's important is, remember when Ghislaine Maxwell got arrested? Audrey Strauss was right there pointing her finger at a poster. I don't understand why the DOJ can't do something like that. A lot of this information, I think the difference between you know what's in the indictments is publicly available, but that's not announced publicly. So you have to look for it and you have to go and, and search it out, as opposed to, I don't understand why somebody can't go on television and say something. I wonder if Glenn Maxwell is going to come up at dinner with the Queen tonight. That's look, uh, I know. So let's get back to Kristen Davis here because she's the Manhattan Madam, and her buddy Sal Greco. There's a photo of them. Uh, there's a close-up of him from that video we just saw. She's also well known for, I think, uh, helping Elliot Spitzer uh, end his political career. If Boy. I'm not mistaken, that's who she there's is. There's a story I want to tell you so bad that involves the Willard Hotel and all of that stuff, but it, I'll save it for another day. Are you but sure? man, you, 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 you just came so close to one of the biggest kind of DC secrets that I got from somebody who, oh. who knew, who was in a position to know, and it involved the Secret Service, a former president. I can't. It's, too, <laughs> it's, a, it's one of the craziest stories I've ever heard, and it has real-world repercussions that involved oh. Elliot Spitzer and that hotel and another administration. And it well, was insane. She is part of that story somehow. Right. exactly know what she did around that story, but there you go. Now, she's the person who tells the Daily Mail, that sorry, the Daily News in New York, that there were literally 50 of us staying at the Willard Hotel. I think all the guys, when things were done, just hang out for a bit, said Davis. Which is interesting, because I didn't think we knew that before, that there were 50 people staying at the same hotel as Roger Stone on January the 6th. Well, you know, if you wanted to have a meeting with some of your friends who might be, uh, you know, wanting to have an insurrection, wanting to storm the Capitol, they would all be in the same hotel. You wouldn't really have to leave your hotel to have a, a little get together and discuss how you're going to do things. Uh, and I think that's a very significant uh, detail that I don't think people fully appreciate. But the most interesting thing about Ms. Davis is um, that she, now that summer is almost here and COVID is almost gone, this may be a good time to get some things off your to-do list, like maybe getting life insurance. You know, my mom is really good with finances and she's always telling me, what about life insurance? It's so important. And I can tell you that Policy Genius is a great place to get life insurance because you can compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you can save as much as 50% or more of life insurance by comparing those quotes. And you could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare those policies for you. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. This is how it works. Getting started is really easy. First, you head to policygenius.com, and in minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. 
When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and scheduling for you. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies, and that means you don't have to worry about your privacy and they don't add extra fees. Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. But the most interesting thing about Ms. Davis is um, that she Instagrammed some footage of herself with Roger Stone from his hotel room. Mostly, I believe, is some sort of cover, but it's damn good video. So here's uh, Kristen Davis live from the Roger Stone suite at the Willard Hotel. Here we are in Roger Stone's suite watching the situation on the Capitol unfold. We are safe and sound. That's your opinion? That's your opinion? There was a story that said that the DOJ had, the rather, Safe and sound. We are in Roger Stone's suite watching the situation on the Capitol unfold. We are safe and sound. That's your opinion? Because there was a story. Let me ask you That's your opinion? There was a story. Safe and sound, just safe and sound. I don't know. It's just, it's mind boggling. I'm noticing the open beer bottle. I'm thinking about how does Roger Stone have a suite at the Willard Hotel when he was begging his followers for money for his legal defense. Oh, the guy just gotten pardoned. Like he said, he couldn't afford any of his places after the legal case. Like, again, that... The Willard Hotel is not your Marriott downtown kind of thing. That is basically, if you're a relative of somebody in, in the administration, you're staying there, like a relative of the president and stuff. Yeah. The the amount of security and the amount of like expense and officialdom, for lack of a better word, surrounding that h- historic hotel is mind boggling. So to rooms, give fifty rooms, even at yeah, a that's, discounted that's, rate, it's it's right. A lot of money. It's the, which is like half the hotel, if yeah, not more. Yeah. It's not that big a hotel. Hotel. It's an exclusive hotel. So that's this was an official operation. And Roger Stone is insane. Oh, he's a grifter. He's literally out of his mind. Oh, like he's as crazy as can be. He's as drug addled as the guy he works for. Like I know Sam Numberg. They were cokeheads together. He, he and Roger and Sam are the guys that came up with the build the wall thing. And that was in a coke field session when Trump was forgetting to be racist at his early rallies. Like he was just forgetting to rail against like immigration and the Mexicans. So they're like, let's give him a talking point so he does so he remembers. Right. And that's where Build a Wall came from. Like those guys words, snorting. Those words become chants and, and messages so easily. So build the wall. Stop this. Exactly. No, they're, they're marketers. Right. Can, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's right. interesting, you know, you talk about being, you know, using drugs. The Proud Boys describe themselves as being very pro-drug, and this is their own description. So certainly it's not surrounding himself with people in terms of protection and security that also are involved in the world of narcotics. I'm not sure that is quite the message the Republican Party think that they're sending out, but that's what's happening inside the ranks of, of the Proud Boys. And so there's the madam uh, in the hotel room, and she was staying there with the New York Police Department, Sal Greco, which we identified earlier. And uh, Mr. Greco has been involved in all sorts of things, including with Bernie Carrick. And you're, I don't know what he was doing there. He wasn't there as an official capacity on the 6th. But remember earlier on, I showed you, I asked you to pay attention to the guy at the back of the golf cart on the day of the 5th. Well, guess who that is? That is Mr. Greco. So certainly he may not be an official security guard. I don't know how you get anointed that. But he was acting like a security guard while still being a member of the New York Police Department for Roger Stone during a weekend in which included an insurrection. I'll put that in your, in, in wherever, and smoke it, because well, that's pretty wild. 
And that's Trump's MO. Keith Schiller, all these guys were NYPD. Keith was on the job when he started working for Trump, and then he was retired NYPD. That's part of this thing. Giuliani, Roger Stone, Trump. You hire an ex-rock bands. I know this because I worked with rock bands. You hire a, an ex-cop or a cop who's moonlighting as your security, you're not getting busted for drugs. You're not getting busted for drinking. You're not getting busted for drunk driving. You're not getting busted for bringing girls back to your hotel and you don't want your wife to see or whatever. It gives you an official air of impunity. It makes you above the law because you've you've bent the law to your will. So a guy like Roger Stone would certainly have NYPD as his protection, especially if he knew what was going to go down that day. Right. Because if they knew there was going to be this big operation, you got a guy who can pull out a badge because all those guys still carry their badges and other cops will let them pass when you show your badge. So these guys are smart. And and Roger Stone knows if it gets ugly and messy, he's got a guy there who can flash a badge and get him back to the Willard when the S starts to hit the fan on the mall or wherever he was. And who owns these golf carts? Because these are the same golf carts. The Oath Keepers swerving like crazy around police officers drove to the Capitol insurrection at 2.30 on the afternoon wanting to join in the, the insurrection, apparently endangering people's lives. So I'm not sure if they're Rogers or their hotels, but it certainly might have been rented out to him Let's, for that period. Let me jump in here, okay? Because this is my business. I worked <laughs> on events for 20 years, all right? You don't get golf carts without renting them from a golf cart company, okay? That's an event thing that you're venting. The, the Willard doesn't have golf carts that oh, they run out to their guests, okay? It's at 15th and like Pennsylvania Avenue. You don't need a golf cart. It's the middle of a city. So that was planned infrastructure that Mm -hmm. requires a a production coordinator a site coordinator this was a planned operation this was a planned event and a golf cart like when i work on the super bowl like i did for 15 years we get a handful of golf carts and i use it to bring prints out on the field or whatever oh you use it in these big events where you're going to have crowds to get through those crowds to have your own lanes and your own quick exits and you put security on your golf cart when we do the super bowl it's dea agents. That's who provides security at the Super Bowl. So again, to my earlier point, they were getting official ways to make sure they could get around unencumbered by security if there was a crackdown and and quick exits. That's such amazing insight that you're providing us there. People don't know this world, but you're absolutely right. It takes a lot to get these permits. It's not easy. The entire permit for the entire event, which we'll go through in just a second, was quite complicated. But just the golf carts and to be able to drive those golf carts down the mall, all the way to the Capitol. I mean, I don't know how you would get access to that. It just seems astonishing that that would be allowed to happen unless you happen to have been organizing an event, which they were uh, on the east side of the Capitol building. So that's Sal Greco, by the way, at the end, back of this golf cart, the day before a New York Police Department copies under investigation, but he still has his job. And he's a good friend of the Manhattan madam who spent the entire day with Roger Stone on the 6th in their hotel room, where another 50 people involved in the insurrection were maybe staying. So interesting. Now, there's so much more I can do, and I'm also watching the time because we are out of time. But I'm going to just do a couple of quick things that are worth mentioning. But, Joe, why don't you jump in with your thoughts, and then we'll, we'll find out how to, to get as much of this in as possible. Yeah, I think interesting what Noel's saying about the production event and, and how much planning goes into it. And the golf carts were available. The picture that you're showing right now is from January 5th. Those same golf carts were there for January 6th. So mm-hmm. somebody had to plan and rent those for a number of days. They weren't just laying around. I don't know if there's a golf course around that area. Um, there's no golf course. I worked at the Center yeah. Honors. Okay, I started my career in D.C. I lived down there. That's where I started in TV in 1993. I've done presidential inaugurations. I've done the Christmas tree lightings at the White House.
house. I've done all that shit. You need to do a lot of planning to get a golf cart delivered to you in D.C. And you need to coordinate with, okay, Roger Stone's going to need one. Mike Flynn's going to need one. It's That's why you need a congressional investigation. You need people to say, who gave Roger Stone a golf cart? Who ordered that golf cart? Who knew he would need one that day? You need to get into the mechanics of this thing because this didn't happen by happenstance. Absolutely not. And the whole thing was so organized. Go ahead, Joe. And the indictments are only telling us so much. They're not telling us that information. They're not telling us who got the permits for January 6th. And we know who got the permits. They're, again, publicly available. Same thing for the 5th. I think if you look at some of the golf carts, one of the golf carts in the front had a number on it and a piece of paper and the paper said something like 80 percent provided by 80 80 percent and if you look at what happened on the speakers from january 5th one of the speakers from that production was from this group 80 percent so i don't know if if there's that tie into the golf carts but I'll tell you one That's thing. The, the, the organization that got the, the permits on that day were basically this organization called Women for Trump. And they were an interesting organization because they have a lot of members in Women for Trump were actually part of the Trump uh, campaign. In fact, here's a little chart of all the people who were involved in getting that permit that day. It involves you know, people like, what's the name here? I'm just looking for it. Maggie Mulvaney, who's Nick Mulvaney's daughter, I believe. And I guess the Carolyn Wren, who is the assistant to Donald Trump's girlfriend, Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend uh, from Fox News. His name escapes me right now, but you guys will know him. And also the former Trump campaign director of finance is, is part of this group. So they... They were the ones who got the permit for January 6th. But the most interesting thing about about that day and about the organization Women for Trump, and I'm just going to try to find it for us here, is that it is partly run by Roger Stone's ex-wife. Ann Stone. So she is a part, uh, I guess, I don't say owner because she just runs the thing, with uh, Amy Kramer, who's the Women's for Trump president, a former Tea Partier, the two of them actually run the the Women for Trump. So let me just pull up the money and how it flows here because I am trying to find it while I'm talking. So I apologize for stumbling a little bit. But there's Amy, there's Ann Stone, sorry, Ann Stone. There she is, a picture of her. This is the previous wife, not the current swinging wife that he has, his wife. And the money into Women for Trump essentially came out of Ameri- a Preserve America pack, which is a Sheldon Adelson thing. It flowed into the 2020 campaign. 2.7 million was paid to the organization towards the end of the uh, Trump campaign. And basically some of that was paid to set, to set up the Stop the Steal uh, event. So that's how the Stop the Steal event got funded. But it's interesting that there again is Roger Stone's kin. No, it just doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Another connection with Roger Stone. In fact, the more you look at the events of, of January the 6th, Roger Stone is in the middle of all of that. He's connected to uh, Donald Trump, obviously. He's connected to Women for Trump through Ann Stone. He's connected to InfoWars because he uh, was an InfoWars contributor for a long time and knows Alex Jones really well. We just showed you how he's connected to the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. And also, interestingly, when you do a big search and big analysis around Q, the one word that comes out the most when you do a social media analysis around Q is the word Roger. So every single of the main components of uh, January the 6th, the people who came together to overthrow the government of the United States are somehow connected to Roger Stone. And as of today, there's no indictments, there's no investigation into any of this uh, regarding Roger Stone in particular that we know of. 
that we know of. Right. Yeah, that we know of. Can, can I make one, yeah. one more point and I'll shut up for the no, show? Please, please, also, please in concerning that Roger Stone, it was Roger Stone who had the guy who the internet guy that he lay, that he then gave to the 8chan guys, the dudes that hosted the whole QAnon conspiracy. And this guy had the power to elevate a site. He could take any, twi any tweet, anybody's Twitter handle, and make it the most popular Twitter handle on, on Twitter. That was Roger Stone's guy. He gave him to this, you know, this Ron dude, his father and son, that were running the 8chan site over in the Philippines. They, Roger Stone gave him this guy, and that's what gave QAnon such a big platform. Let's not forget it, it, WikiLeaks. Let's not forget that he was also WikiLeaks. The, the, the exactly. contact to right. uh, WikiLeaks was Roger Stone. It's not just he's not just an accidental player in any of oh, the no. Trump presidency. He's a active participant, if not the key organizer of so much of the events. Yeah, of the last thirty years, yeah, if you true. really want to look at it. But and certainly in terms of Trumpism, that's what I said. From make from build the wall to. Stop the steal. That's all Roger Stone. That's what exactly. he does. He's the man in the shadows, except this time he's a Batman villain and he doesn't want to be in the shadows. He wants to be dancing with his Nixon tattoo on his back and hanging out with the, the, the Manhattan madam exactly. in his suite. And that's why he was pardoned. He had a role. Right. Trump pardoned him so he could do what he did on January 5th and 6th. In fact, that's a very good point to underline. His pardon comes in at like December 25th or thereabouts, just in time for him to do to do the Stop the Steal event. And it's not coincidental, obviously. In fact, yeah, after, he phoned, after he was pardoned, he phoned Donald Trump and they had a very big conversation how they need to mobilize against the fact that the election was stolen uh, from Donald Trump. So it was almost like marching orders uh, for them to go. Hey, speaking of having to go, we have taken everyone's time for way too long this <laughs> evening. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us again, Joe Dempsey, how they can find you on Twitter? I'm at Dempsey2. D-E-M-P-S-E-Y-T-W-O. Okay, must you. follow feed. It's really always it's a lot of interesting information. Noel Kassler can be found on the uh, Noel Kassler podcast, uh, available wherever you get your uh, podcast. And it's also a must listen to. Really, really great stuff from Noel. Uh, it drops what day of the week? It drops on Monday. And okay. folks can check out the Narrative Podcast. If you weren't watching yeah. this or you found it interesting, tell your friends about it. Actually, we discussed point. a lot tonight. Listen yeah. to it again. Good point. Yeah, please. If you actually, I never, I always forget to say this, but uh, for those viewers who like the show, but also watch the, the podcast or listen to the podcast, there's an audio feed and a video podcast, uh, please go to your podcast player and subscribe and download uh, those things because that really helps in the numbers that we get so we'll appreciate all that we appreciate your viewing tonight as we always do a narrative we'll be back on friday with the after show thanks for watching countdown tuesdays good night everybody at least 83 that it's time to establish a direct contact with Donald Trump. An insurrection, an attempted overthrow of the federal government. Accidental leak, non-intentional, of a laboratory that was doing research on these viruses. The vast majority of those people never imagined for one moment they were effectively participating in the concealment of child abuse, but they did. Rudy is probably in violation of a FARO law. Snooping around is not a crime. He made sure these girls were underage.